Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Mounting a protest can be a tricky business. I remember reporting in the 1980s a campaign by university lecturers to improve their conditions of work. Their very erudition may have hampered their cause. The stirring slogan they chose to win round the masses was Rectify the Anomaly. I can still picture the none too prepossessing young man holding a placard by the side of the A4 pulling the deadened gazes of weary commuters driving out of London towards his convoluted message. Marxist revolution was surely round the corner. But it didn't turn out that way. The political establishment managed to survive that devastating threat to its authority. The anomaly, whatever it was, lived on. It would be nice to think that there is a stash of rectified T-shirts to be found in the basement of a former polytechnic somewhere, a legacy to that bone-rattling call to arms. It would have made a fine addition to the Victorian Albert Museum's new exhibition, Disobedient Objects, which opens on July the 26th. The show illustrates how the battle for hearts and minds has evolved over the last quarter of a century, and how the once-simplistic art of social protest has acquired its own refinements and sophistication as it has moved with the times. It begins in the late 1970s, a time which many would consider to be well past the golden age of protest. The handsome Che Guevara posters, the students placing flowers inside the guns of soldiers, the pregnant lyrics of chart-topping pop songs, Call Out the Instigators, sang Thunderclap Newman, because there's something in the air. All these pivotal cultural moments belong to the previous decade. The 1970s, widely regarded as a hangover decade, was when protest discovered its limits, rather than celebrating its potential. And yet, whatever it lost in directness and militancy, it was beginning to gain in practical wisdom. The artists and designers of the post-60s sensibility employed a richer palette of tone than their predecessors. They used drama, the striking life-sized puppets of the US's bread and puppet theatre, promoting democratic culture and bread-baking as antidotes to high capitalism. They appropriated high art. China's goddess of democracy torch-bearing statuette, based not as commonly thought on the Statue of Liberty, but on the Soviet sculpture Kolkhoz Woman. The original was constructed and then destroyed by a tank in Tiananmen Square. The cheap copy is to be found in the home of many a dissident of the regime. Samizdat Kitsch, or revolutionary totem. Protests against baton-wielding police forces gained poignancy when students began to use shields that were painted as book covers, a tactic first seen in Italy in the last decade. It seemed, as police moved against them, that the forces of law and order were clubbing the life out of Boccaccio and Dante themselves. This was protest designed to be observed through technology's rapid dissemination of images, Social media created instant icons, and here were political malcontents 
moving as sure-footedly as any high-flying brand consultant. In Berlin and Barcelona, demonstrators used giant cube-shaped cobblestone inflatables, which they would float towards police lines. The authorities were faced with a conundrum of absurdity. Did they pretend to ignore them as they landed haplessly among them? Or did they bounce them back to the demonstrators, farcically turning a serious engagement into a game of beach volleyball? Humour has become a powerful weapon. Dissident acts are designed to raise a wry smile rather than a howl of outrage. In the US, a graffiti-writing robot took the pain, and perhaps the fun, out of spraying slogans on walls. Here, surely, was alternative culture's counterpart to drone missiles, the double-edged critique deftly made. Recent demonstrations in Britain, never a country to stray far from a joke, have seen withering epigram placards denouncing government spending cuts. I wish my boyfriend was as dirty as your policies, says one. In Russia, a rainbow-coloured we-won't-give-it-to-Putin-a-third-time placard is replete with sexual innuendo. These absurdist and ironic twists were all very well, I said to the show's co-curators, Catherine Flood and Gavin Grindon, but were they effective? Grindon believes they symbolise a new realism about the limits of social protest. In the 1960s, he says, there was a higher expectation of immediate change. Now there is no less utopianism around, but there is a much stronger sense of having to be strategic. Protesters, in other words, are in it for the long haul. The explosive shows of dissent that shook the 1960s brought issues such as race and gender to government agendas. But it was the consolidation of those protests in the following decades that won the battles. Today, going viral is more important than going to the barricades. And the instigators need to be more artful than ever. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.